Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Corey Hepler. I write Taxi Cab Joe. My wonderful and beautiful co-host. Oh, thank you. Jared Gifford, you did your hair for me. That's amazing. I know. Um, Look all sexy now. I know. <laughs> he writes Darum, Captain of the Stars. Yeah. Amongst a other plethora of genres that he's got going right now. Oh yeah. Um, also writing um, the and uh, we've been keeping updates on this just uh, as always. But uh, yes. I've been writing uh, Ronan Brothers. And you and, are close to your fourth script, is that right? Um yeah. Um, um I'm near. I'm I'm on the last few pages of the third issue. Yeah, you and I had talked about uh, that. Yeah, and uh, and the fourth issue will be written just right after that. Nice. Yeah, and um and then also you've got stuff that you've been you've been writing um other than Taxi Cab Joe, uh, Sexy Zombie Hunters yes. is another one. Mm-hmm. Um. I know you've been um, you've been uh, working on some sm- short stories for your anthology uh, for your anthology comic. Exactly. And uh, and I've actually been working on some stuff on that one as well. This is good. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I also know that uh, and I don't know if you told people yet, but uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them now. Um, yeah. Yeah. You're back. Screw you, too. But uh, but I know you're also working on your own novel. Yes, um, this upcoming tax season, I'm going to be going and getting a computer with um, a pristine writing app on it, yeah. so I can write my very first novel. Nice. And this is something that, as well mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I've been wanting to do for literally decades. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh that, no, that'll be awesome. And instead, I've, I've actually got my own ideas for my own novel as well. So yeah. I mean, and uh, no, that, that'll be good. That'll be good. And, um, and, I don't know, you want to, um, tell them a little bit, like, whet their appetites, or you want them to, to wait a little more? Um, because I haven't really formulated the plot and written anything on it, I'm yeah. gonna let you guys stew for a bit, because <laughs> if I'm still formulating it, I might tell you something that will happen in the book that might not happen, and I don't want to lie to you guys, but... So you want to wait till you have something definitive... I'm going to wait until I have at least the first 30 pages written okay. before I give anybody in a d- definitive um, yeah. synopsis. But yeah. just know that it is going to be set in the future, and it's going to be a space crime noir. Nice. Okay, so, so at least got something new to look forward to. Exactly. <laughs> it's like if you were to take Dick Tracy... And put them in the future. <laughs> now that'd be awesome. You know, that'd be, you know, not a whole lot of comics like that. I mean, uh, I mean, one when I used when I used uh, and I used to read it back in the day, and I love it. And they actually made a movie out of it. Sadly, it's an underrated movie, but I love the movie. I think I know which one you're talking about. The Phantom. The Phantom. You know, for what it was. Chris O'Donnell did a fantastic job. That actually wasn't Chris O'Donnell. It was uh, Billy oh, Zane. No, it was Billy Zane. That's right. Yeah. Um, sorry about that. Yeah. It was yeah. Billy Zane when he was actually quite young. Oh yeah. It was interesting because Billy Zane's in his like fifties or sixties right now. Oh yeah. Well, uh, in the uh, this was uh, one of his younger roles, um, and he actually, interesting enough, he just barely come off of this series, um, because for those who don't know, interestingly enough, um. Do you know what movie Billy Zane started his career in? Because I know I do. Um, I want to say that it's Blade Runner. No. Um, that would have been awesome. 
But no, actually, but it's still a really cool, awesome um, comedy slash sci-fi that he started out in. He was one of the members of Biff Tannen's gang um, in Back to the Future. He was in the first one, wasn't he? Yeah, Billy Zane was one of the members of Biff Tannen's gang. Wait a minute. Yeah. He's the one um, that's just behind Biff as he's harassing Marty McFly. Over in the diner. Over in the diner. Yes. I know who you're talking about. Exactly. I knew if I refresh your memory, you'd come back to it. But yeah, it was one of Billy Zane's first roles. And what's really interesting is Billy Zane didn't have a really huge part in the movie. Mm -hmm. However, it caught enough of the director's attention. Well, that's how you start. Most you people know? actually will get their start because they'll get a small bit part somewhere else, but then somebody notices them, and then somebody will be like, oh, hey, that person will be great in my movie. And exactly. Then, and then it just works its way up. Well, anyway, by the time the 90s hit, Billy Zane was starting to get somewhat of a name for himself. Yeah. Sadly, he never rose to, like... I look at Billy Zane as one of the great... B movie stars. Yeah, he never got um, the A list fame, but B list, he made some yeah. pretty damn good movies. Yeah, and, and and by the time the Phantom came out, he was one of those people that could you could he could at least carry a movie. Maybe not an A list movie, but he could carry a movie. Exactly. And and I just think it's a shame because if you go and watch it, I love it because the Phantom's got this really great. I love it. It's it, it feels like a comic strip out of the 1930s mm -hmm. because it's really got that feel. He's. Um, you know the way the people speak, the setting, yeah. and, and even the plot itself feels very much like an old-style comic strip. Now I know you're going somewhere with this. Oh, uh, I'm just—I was—I I was just letting you know that I really loved it uh, because, and, and I loved how you said you uh, brought, brought him up and and, and, yeah. and characters like that with Billy Zane. Um, but what I'm saying is. I was, that was coming back to what you were talking about with the crime noir stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I really like that. And you were talking about with Dick Tracy and whatnot. Mm -hmm. um, and I uh, just really brought back some memories. Um, but, uh, but also, I want to, I want to talk about like some, um, some classic guys in comic books. Um, and, um, and he was, uh, he was, he was still part of, I guess, what you'd call, the um the early part of Marvel's career. Yeah. Um and he had big shoes to fill. Um and I'm talking about John Romita. John Romita had to uh had to fill in after Steve Git Steve Ditko left um Spider-Man. And what's interesting is when he took over, he had given Spider-Man a new type of flair. He actually gave him a new type of uh, mm -hmm. talking and walking and how he characterized himself because before, yeah. Ditko had mm -hmm. made him kind of like mild-mannered. He still did Spider-Man stuff. Yeah. But it wasn't like, bam, out into the open. Well, he, 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 he made him a little bit more complex. We got to find out more about what made Peter Parker tick. Exactly, um, it made him more relatable and, as well. And I believe, and you know, you can, and a lot of people are gonna probably strangle the life out of me if I get this wrong. Mm -hmm. But I will, I will look this up to confirm it. But I, I still think that I believe it was John Romita who had introduced um, Peter Parker's first love interest, which a lot, a lot of people always get this wrong. 
They always think it's Mary Jane. No, it's Gwen. Tri- Gwen Stacy. Yeah. I believe it was John Romita who introduced the love interest in Gwen Stacy. Yeah, he did because Gwen Stacy, although she was short-lived because yeah. she died in one of the, well, yeah, one yeah, of the last well, comics of Spider-Man. Well, the, the, guy who, the guy who succeeded John Romita um, and uh, the guy who, uh, who, who preceded him, he was the guy who made the story where she died. Yeah, and that was actually kind of a dick move because I liked Gwen. She was yeah. she was pretty. She was but fitting for Peter Parker, but, but you know. Un- but <laughs> in a way, I can understand why he did that. You know, fuck that guy. No, oh, ouch. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but, you know, and then he brought story, out... The, but, th- but that's a story for another time. And he brought out the, the love interest of Mary Jane. Yeah, um... That's what I'm saying. Uh, because Peter Parker's only had two girlfriends. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> technically three, because he has had an on-again, off-again relationship. With his with hand? The, no, with the black cat. Oh, yeah, with the black cat. Yeah. Um, shut up. Anyway... <laughs> Anyway, but no, we're back on John Romita, uh, and, and, and that's the thing is, is, uh, no, he was actually one of the guys who did a lot of great classic Spider-Man stories, um, and, 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 you know, and some good stuff came of that, um, you know, and, uh, um, and, and that's what I'm saying, it's like, he was, he was one of those guys that I feel was overlooked, and I think that's another reason, thing why I was going with the whole Billy Zane thing, Yeah, was... John Romita, to me, I think it's overlooked. He gets wedged in between these other great creators, you know. Um, you know, most people, when they think Spider-Man, will either think Steve Ditko, or they'll, um, you know, or, or they'll think guys who are, like, later on, like Todd McFarlane. Yeah. Um, you, you got yeah. these underdogs that have yeah. taken over some really great characters. Yeah. And they've done amazing things to them. And yeah. it's almost like they were pushed to the side, and that's actually kind of unfair. And I believe that's why yeah. we're doing this episode to give light to some creators that probably didn't get the credit that they should have deserved. Well, yeah, when John Romita, uh, John Romita, the thing is, is uh, he had this style, and I kind of like it. I, I call it the iconic comic book style. Yeah. A lot of the comic books, the way they looked in the um, in the uh, late '60s and early '70s. He, he had that look down pat, you know. It was like, uh, you know, um, you know, Peter uh, Peter Parker looked like the all-American boy. Yeah. Um, Gwen Stacy looked like the all-American girl. Uh-huh. You know, uh, and then uh, and then the villains looked looked truly villainous. Um, and and it was one of those things. That, and and hey, you know, and think John Romita, and they got to give give him credit for this. I mean. He he preceded Steve Ditko, but he was still working with Stan Lee. Yeah, and what's interesting is I believe he is one of the only ones after um, Ditko that got to do that, aside from Jack Kirby, which yeah. was so close in working with him oh, yeah. on these comics. Well, um, there's a few people that got to work with Stan Lee directly. Jack Kirby was one, as you said. Yeah. Um, Steve Ditko was another. Another person who got to work directly with him was John Buscema. Yes. Um, and then, like I said, and then like John Romita, he got to he got to actually work directly with Stan Lee. But then, by the time you got all the great '70s guys coming in, yeah. Um, and and they're all guys that we love and grew up with as well. But a lot of them had different teams because by that point, Stan Lee had less of a role in plotting out. 
plotting out the stories, and he got more into like a supervisor's role with everything. Yeah, he wanted to make sure that everything was taken care of. Yeah. And I think for Stanley, that's really the role that he wanted in the first place. Mm-hmm. Because he loved making comics. Don't get me wrong. Oh, he does. Uh, but he yeah. loved um, helping people find their passion for comics as well. Yeah, exactly. He he was one of those people that he loved comic books, but he also liked helping people um, share their love of comic books. And when John Romita um, yeah. came into the picture, mm-hmm. it's almost as if it was... Mm-hmm. And, you know, no offense to anybody else that was making uh, comics at that time, but... Um, he was kind of the golden boy of comics when it came out because he had done so much. And it's kind of funny because you you are uh, you are correct. Funny <laughs> thing is, when John Romina came onto the scene, um, he was actually a big deal. He really uh, was, and, and a lot of people loved him, and a lot of people thought his work was iconic of Spider-Man. Hilariously enough, nowadays you mention his name, most people will either not know. Sadly, I mean yeah. those those who care, like older guys like ourselves, will know. And, and, and those even older than us will know. Exactly. But young kids, they usually don't know. You, you mentioned John Romita most times, and I'm not, and there's no slight to anybody else, but most people will either not know altogether or they'll think of his son, John Romita Jr. Yeah, they'll Jr. think of John Romita Jr. Um, by the way, um, bringing that up, we're going to be doing the podcast on uh, John Romita Jr., his son, next yeah. Saturday. So yeah. look forward to that. Um, now, John Romita, he had given such a voice to the characters, not only Spider-Man, but there were a plethora of other characters that he had given such a voice to that I can't think of any other creator that had been as bombastic with the characters as him. Oh, yeah, um... Well, and that's what I'm saying, and 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 there were several characters, I think, that were introduced during his tenure. Oh, I'm... I'm, I'm trying to remember his name. Um, but he's going to be in the new upcoming Spider-Man movie. But he was the guy, and you can you can basically fill me in if I can't remember. <laughs> Why can't Mysterio? Mysterio. I yeah. believe Mysterio was actually created during John Romita's tenure. It was, um, and how he drew Mysterio uh, was really interesting because Mysterio wasn't like any other type of villain. Oh, no, well, the Spider-Man yeah, no. villain, especially because most people were used to um, these guys, like, who had these technological advances or were just playing crazy. Like, like the Green Goblins. They were, they were, yeah, they were used to the Green <laughs> Goblins and the Doc Ox, you know, and, yeah. and, and characters like that. Um, and, uh, and then John Romita, uh, yeah, he, he had this character. He almost looked like he could be, like, out of a fantasy comic because he was, like, this guy, he had this almost like this silvery dome on his head. Yeah. And then he had like the purple cape thing and the green armor. Now, I will point this out because a lot of people like to point this out, and I think we pointed this out um, a couple of podcasts ago. Do you realize that a lot of the iconic villains wear purple? I noticed that. (laughs) And that's the funny thing is, and and the thing about it, Mysterious is the same thing. He wears a purple cape. Uh Uh-huh. And he... You know, he was all over uh, the Spider-Man comics for the longest time. And thank you to John Romita for making him um, Mm -hmm. such an iconic villain. Because it was like every other issue had Mysterio in it. And he was fucking with Spider-Man. And it was... It was actually fun to read. Exactly. <laughs> Interestingly enough, and that's what I'm saying. And, and for a while, a lot of people don't know that. And uh, 
you know, um, and I believe it was also, and and I once again could be wrong, and a lot of people probably can lynch me later, but I do. We can also, lynch you now. Oh yeah, true. But I do <laughs> believe it was also during John Romita's tenure um, that um, that this is when like one of the iconic stories I think happened. It was when um, is when Norman Osborn had actually supposedly been killed. And, um, and, yeah. and and his son Harry Osborn had actually become the Green Goblin. Yeah, that was around the time where um, it, he had been killed and Harry Osborn took over. And what's well, interesting, I believe there are a couple of comics where Mysterio and the new Green Goblin yeah. are kind of, in a way, kind of in cahoots trying to get... Oh, trying yeah, well, to kill Spider-Man. Well, there are plenty of villain team-ups. I mean, yeah. that's when you got things like the, the Sinister Six, you know? Exactly. I mean, uh, you know, uh, and, that, and, that was, and that was actually a good iconic storyline. Can't remember whose tenure that was on, so I'm not going to actually put anybody's name on that one. We're going to have to research that. However... Yeah. I mean, it's a good story, and I, and I love it, but, un, but unfortunately, my brain is betraying me today, and I am not going to pinpoint anybody on that, and then somebody come back later and say... You are wrong, you SOB. That's right. You have to be correct on these podcasts. <laughs> Damn it. Anyway. Uh, no, uh, not, <laughs> not entirely, but but also, I, I, I will admit, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I, I don't like going around spreading information if I don't know if it's true or not. And, and, and you notice, every time I've actually even guessed on something, I've told, I've told people straight up that I don't know if this is true and you can correct me later. And here's the interesting thing about uh, Jared that you got to give props for. <laughs> Even though he has a vast knowledge about comics, he the reason he does is he does his research <laughs> to keep... Oh, Jesus Christ. It's like, it's like a Britannica full of brains of comics. <laughs> and maybe the one or two times that he's wrong, it's almost surprising. Yeah. And I'm not trying to fill his head... <laughs> too much but this guy knows his comics he knows his comic creators and he knows his stuff so if you ever get a chance to um be into one be at one of his panels and ask him some questions sit down with the motherfucker because he knows his shit (laughs) and he's not going to lead you astray well thank you thank you and you know um i'm I'm going to give you a little bit of the credit as well whole thing is you may not know everything but you're always very passionate about what you do know and that's the whole thing. If you want to hear somebody actually give a passionate speech about the stuff that he likes, you definitely want to talk to Corey. Aww. <laughs> Where's the back scratcher? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, going back to, you know, going back a little bit on topic, that's what I'm saying is, um, just as you and I had discussed previously, um, and yeah, it's kind of sad because he had these really great things that during his tenure had been introduced and were awesome and were considered to be pretty iconic of Spider-Man, mm-hmm. but unfortunately, either uh, nowadays he gets uh, he gets overlooked by the people that that preceded or the the, uh, the people that were before him, or he gets completely overlooked by the people that came after him. I remember reading a comic of Spider-Man yeah. that Ramita R- Ramita had done, the yeah. senior, yeah. and what happened is in one of the scenes, he um, his his web slinger jammed and he was yeah. falling. Yeah. And he was like panicking. Yeah. And at the very last second it shot out onto a building. <laughs> and I remember reading that and seeing that scene and I was like, that's how you create suspense. Yeah. You get the character in such a 
fumble in such peril yeah. that the that the reader's like, oh my god! <laughs> and then at the very last second, yeah. he's saved. John Romita was fantastic yeah. at keeping readers on the edge of their seat. Yeah, he, he brought a lot of suspense <laughs> into it. I mean, not that Steve Ditko hadn't. I mean, it was it was really good with Stanley and Steve Ditko, but yeah. one of the things I think that John Romita had introduced, as you said, he put a lot more suspense into certain scenarios. And I like that. And interestingly enough, and that's the, and the funniest, they've had that in some of the movies and they've even had him do that in some of the like the cartoon series and stuff that they have and interesting enough if they want to give credit to anybody John Romita's the one who introduced stuff like that exactly because before it wasn't like Peter Parker was playing it safe because yeah. being Spider-Man acrobatics they gotta suck and they're horrifying oh yeah however John Romita had put him in dangerous situations on purpose so that he could show the spectacular part of what Spider-Man could do. Exactly. And that was the best re- then that was the best mm-hmm. reason as to why so many people love his writings on Spider-Man because yeah. he gave Spider-Man a reason to show why he was Spider-Man. Oh, exactly. So <laughs> I say no and I completely agree with you on that one. Um and that was the whole thing. Um, I, um, I'd watched an interview with uh, with uh, John Romita, and yeah. he, one, one of the things he was talking about about his tenure on Spider Man was he was saying that at first, and he will have fallen admit this. He said when at first when he uh, when he was taking over from Steve Ditko, he said that he didn't want to feel like he was being disrespectful, so he he kept um, the first few uh, the the, uh, the first few issues like the like first story arc he did for Spider Man. He tried keeping it um, more on par with what Ditko had done. Yeah, he wanted to no. homage what mm-hmm. Ditko had yeah. Yeah. brought about, so he yeah. was trying to be as delicate as possible. But but he said uh, when um, <clears throat> um, when he got into the next uh, when he got into the next story arc, he said that that was when he really felt like he needed to put his own stamp on it. Yeah, he wanted to make um, it his own. And uh, and then that's when he started introducing some of the scenarios that we talked about. Started introducing some newer villains started introducing some scenarios that maybe Peter Parker hadn't experienced before. Exactly, and I believe, Hmm. you can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that he is the one who had introduced the most villains in the least amount of time that he had done that run. And that one I can't tell you because uh, I have to look at each and every creator and what they brought to the table. Yeah. But what I can tell you is this, is that, yeah, um, at least at that time... Yeah. At least at that time, um, other than, say, Steve Ditko himself, who created some of the iconic Spider-Man villains... Yeah. um, I believe that John Romita, yeah, um, out of many of the people who succeeded him... The only one who I could think of who maybe um, had introduced some other more new characters were probably, uh, say, like Tom DeFalco and Todd McFarlane. Yeah, because uh, uh, Tom DeFalco had introduced... Um, uh, well, he the, introduced Rhino. Um, I think. Um, I'm going to have to look on that. But the one I do know that, uh, that Tom DeFalco had helped create was Hobgoblin. Yeah, he did do that one. Um... um and, uh, and then Todd McFarlane, as we all know, helped to co-create Venom. Exactly. Now, um, one thing that I really want to give Ramita some credit for is mm-hmm. he wasn't delicate with his run of Spider-Man. 
And oh, I think I that's know. why it's so iconic because mm-hmm. he took well, at so first, many ri- funny, so many risks. Well, what's funny is at first he was. At first, at he, first was. he was. Because yeah. we, we talked about Darmeter. At first, he didn't want to feel like he was being insulting Steve Ditko, but yeah. when he basically, I, I guess, uh, for lack of a better term, but a lot of people, uh, but, but a lot of people know what it means. Basically, when he was able to spread his wings, yeah. Um, he, he, that's when, yeah, that's when he finally started introducing set. He started putting Peter in situations he'd never been in before. Mm-hmm. He started looking more at him as a complex character, and we got to see more about what made Peter Parker tick. And um, he'd actually made his suit um, yeah. look um, yeah. a little rougher around the edges as well. Well, um, I'd say a little more detailed. Yeah. Not, not so much rougher, but I'd say a little more detailed. Um, he... He... Well, had enough of Ditko in there that you could see where it where where it come from, but I think um, the way Spider-Man at least looked throughout the '70s and '80s, we can credit that to um, to John Romita. Now, the reason why I say rough is because yeah. there were a lot of issues where um, Spider-Man would get banged up and his suit would get yeah. ripped. Well, yeah, and in fact, I said. The look that John Romita gave him, uh, he pretty much kept that look up until, I'd say, Todd McFarlane took over. Yeah. Then when Todd McFarlane came, took over, then he changed the suit again. Exactly. That's when, he, that's when he took the eyes and those bitty eyes, he made them larger, and then he actually made his suit um, have a lot more webbing on it. Yeah. Um, um, well, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. it's interesting because he made his suit... Mm-hmm. A little more pliable as well. It was didn't yeah. look like it was sticking to his skin. Well, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> and that's what I'm saying. It's like, uh, it, it, so you can tell who has been handling Spider-Man by by what he looks like. And, yeah. And then I said, uh, John Romita, to me, he defined the look of Spider-Man as I said throughout the '70s and '80s. What Spider-Man looked like was sort of like, like everyone. I mean, you, you can say the Bible is Steve Ditko. Steve yeah. Ditko's the Spider-Man Bible. He really but, is. But, if anything, John Romina was the one who set the bar of how how many people drew him clear up until Todd McFarlane came, took over. And I really like how um, when Todd McFarlane took over for... Um, yeah, Tom for Romita, for Romita. Actually, no, John Romita had, uh, had retired in the 70s, and there were plenty of people who succeeded him afterwards. Yeah. But what I'm saying is, everybody who succeeded him afterwards were going off his drawings. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Tom McFarlane, no, he took over in the, uh, late 80s. Yeah, it and, was like 87, and, and he, he actually took like over, that. and he took over from, I believe, Tom DeFalco. Yeah, because Tom DeFalco had had what, like five, six year run, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he did. Uh, most of the Spider-Man through the '80s was done by Tom DeFalco. Yeah, and what uh, Todd had done, he had taken yeah. what Falco and Ramita had done, and he mm-hmm. had like made it better. Oh yeah, well, and in fact, interestingly enough, uh, I'm, I'm surprised we didn't get to include this, but maybe you didn't know, but I knew this, was um, one person who actually had a, a, a short little bit run even before T- Tom DeFalco took over mm-hmm. was Frank Miller. Frank Miller actually did a short run on Spider-Man. He, I believe he did the, uh, I believe he did like a five to seven issue run on him before De- um, before no, DeFalco a bit longer. came. It was a little bit longer, but what I'm saying is in terms of years. I think uh, Frank Miller did Spider-Man for about two, maybe three years. Um, and it was in the early 80s. Oh, that's right, because yeah. he had um, 
he had drawn, I want to say... No, it was more like 23 or 24 issues. Yeah, something like that. Something that, like that. It was that, up there. That's why, that's why I said it was, like yeah. a, it was like a two or three year run. Yeah, I believe you're right. It was, a, it, it, said it, wasn't a, it wasn't a long run, but it was at least a two or three year run. And so he had a, at least quite a bit of material. Um, but like I said, um, yeah, he, he, was, he, had, he had done it, then Tom DeFalco took over, and then throughout most of the 80s, Tom DeFalco was doing Spider-Man, just yeah. as you pointed out. Uh-huh. And then when Tom DeFalco was moving on to other comics... And actually, he was. This was around the time when Tom DeFalco, um, for uh, for uh, for those who don't know, and once again, um, I know this because I'd studied it. <laughs> but uh, I know um, time on my hands, I guess. But uh, <laughs> um, but uh, but anyway, um, Tom DeFalco from the late '80s and clear on into the uh, a lot of the '90s was actually the um, the editor in chief over at Marvel. Yeah, he did that for quite a while, actually. Yeah, yeah. Like most of the '90s stuff, Tom DeFalco was in charge of Marvel. Exactly. Um, and uh, anyway, um, so uh, Tom DeFalco, um, he was moving on to other comics, but at the same time, this was when he was moving into his position as editor in chief. Mm-hmm. And um, and then basically, that's when um, he uh, that's when he gave the uh, comic to Todd. Because what happened was, at that time, Todd had actually proven himself with a few things. He had done, um, he had done a backup story, um, I can't, I forget the name of it, but it was a Wild West story he had done in the back of one of these comics, which led to us, which actually led to, a one or two year gig doing, uh, The Incredible Hulk. Are you talking about the, the small issue in the back of the comics that was like a ten page, like, yeah, yeah, mini-series? Yeah, yeah, a ten page story, and it was like yeah. a, it was like a, it was like a western. Yeah, it was and, a western that, miniseries that had yeah. been in a couple of issues, and yeah. it got caught the attention. Yeah, and then what happened was, uh, yeah, t- that caught the attention of, of Peter David, who was doing, um, um, the Incredible Hulk at the time. Yeah. And then Todd McFarlane did like a one to two year run on The Incredible Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that actually led to his getting the job doing Spider-Man. Exactly. And But, but either way, um, but, you know, uh, so say going back to John Romita, the whole thing is, is that all these people who were after him, all these people who were like his successors, um, they were using his template for Spider-Man. Now, once again, as I said... The one who created the iconic look of Spider-Man was Steve Ditko. Yeah. And we always give him that credit. But what Ramita had done was he he kind of perfected the look. The look of Spider-Man that most of us know, um, um, at least throughout the 70s and 80s, was John Ramita's look. And one thing that you got to give John Ramita is when he was given a project, not only was he efficient and thorough, mm-hmm. but he always asked advice from his superiors on how to make it better. Oh, yeah, exactly. He was a humbling type of person. Oh, yeah, no, very, very humble. No, he never he never tooted his own horn. He was never a, one of those guys like, oh, I'm a big shot, blah, 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 blah. In fact, another great story when I was uh, I was watching an interview that he had done. He was talking about because a lot of people had actually talked about how how his son had gone into comics too, and uh-huh. and they said I said oh was that something that you were supportive of? Was that something that you know you you encouraged him to do? And he said that he said he said that um, he said that yes and no. He said that when he his son wanted to get into comics, he didn't deter him. But he was basically, but he said he, but he was, he was really worried about something. 
and, and this is a legit worry, he was saying that he's seen so many people do this. He's seen so, seen so many people get bit with the comic book bug. Yeah. And then what happens is they're not able to hack it. They're not able to keep doing the, the monthly grind, and they're mm-hmm. not able to do the things that you have to do in comics. Yeah. And then they get discouraged, and then they end up turning against the industry and hating it. Um, he said what he didn't want happening mm-hmm. was he didn't want his son trying to do that, His son, and, and he was afraid, he was afraid that like, if his son couldn't get into comics, that... That that thing that him him and his son shared because they both loved comic books. Yeah, he was afraid that his son was going to end up hating it, and then he wouldn't have anybody in the family who liked comic books with him. And this is a very real fear because, yeah. as a comic creator myself, yeah. you know I have a son and daughter who yeah. like comics. Yeah, and while they don't draw. Yeah. Um, they have a very um, vivid imagination. Vivid imagination, and they're. They're very open about um, mm-hmm. what they like and what they don't like in comics. Mm-hmm. And I really love the fact that m- my kids, while they find my comics extremely obscure, yeah, they're extremely supportive of the fact that this is what I want to get into, mm-hmm. and I love that. And the fact that John Romita's son was so supportive of mm-hmm. his dad doing yeah. comics... Um, so much to the fact that he wanted to do comics himself, it really shows you the bond that they had. Oh, yeah. Well, and another thing he said he did, and he, and he said, because one thing he's always quick to tell people, because a lot of people think that John Romita Jr. got into the comic business because his father was in the business. And so it like, has nothing to do with it. I know, and he, he says this all the time. He said no. He said that, no, he never deterred his son, but at the same time, no, he didn't ever use his influence to get his son a job. Nope. He said, he said... You know, you can call this good parenting or bad parenting, but what he always did, and he was always quick to do, was that basically whatever gigs his son got, he made sure that he did the work on his own and that he got those gigs on his own. Exactly, and here's the thing. When you're a parent and you have, um, I want to say, a successor yeah, um, with your son or daughter, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that... At the end of the day, they want to feel proud about what they have done. Yeah. And it, there's no prouder feeling of knowing that as you have shown them and you've pushed them to do things, uh-huh. that they put in the work and they grind on their own mm-hmm. so that they can be proud of what they did and they say, hey, look, Dad, this is well, cool. Look well, what I did. And what I love about it is they both have their own definitive style. Exactly. They don't, they're not similar because there's a lot of people that, and he said this was another reason why he wanted his son to go out and do this stuff on his own, mm-hmm. was that there are a lot of people, and he said this, that they'll be the sons or daughters of these famous um, comic book artists. And he said the problem that would end up happening is they'd end up looking too much like their parents. And then it was just like, well, what is there to define you? You know, the whole thing is like you gotta, you gotta, you gotta stick out with your own art style. Now he said it's n- nothing wrong with homaging, but he just said that yeah, too many times you have these kids get into the industry and their work would be almost indifferential from their parents. And what's and, interesting, and, and while yeah, yeah. Um, that's kind of okay. 
Yeah. You want to have your own style to be looking apart oh, from. Well, exactly. Interesting enough, both of them are very great artists, both John Romita and John Romita Jr. Mm-hmm. But here's the but here's the difference. You it, not, their art style does look, not look anything alike. And not the, at all. And the best part is, yeah, you can actually differentiate between the two styles. Oh yeah, as I as I said, you look. Here's the difference between the two, and I would say this: you look at John Romita's style, and it's very, uh, it's very much the look of the comics of the of the 1970s. Exactly. It's very much that kind of look, and it, it has the, almost this kind of with the characters. And I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but it almost has this sort of. Um, Almost this this kind of well-defined look of not not quite as cartoony, but but more, but as well-defined as like it, it almost kind of remind me a little bit of the Archie comics. Yeah, they got a very smooth no, art line style. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A very smooth. That's that's the word I was looking for. Thank you for for saying it. But the very smooth style. John Romita has got a very smooth style. His son, and I'm and, and this is no insult, but it's just different. His son's got more of a sort of darker grittier style yeah and uh and i would and, and dare i say it and i'm not saying this isn't bad it is a bad thing but much more of a i'd say an animated kind of style uh-huh like um, like if, if john romita had this kind of magazine-esque style his son very much had a ha- had almost like an animated dark gritty cartoon style exactly and it's almost like when you take a comic from senior and then you take a comic from junior yeah. and you flip the pages yeah. at the same time, you can clearly tell the difference. Yeah, you can tell. You, 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 you don't even think. You don't even think. Like, you're like, you'd be looking at both of them like, these two are related? Exactly. <laughs> it's like, wait a damn minute. They're father and son? No. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you'd expect, like, maybe there'd be something like that. But I'm saying that that's actually the kind of the cool thing is. And that shows you, they both got into the industry on their own. The whole thing is, is they have two very different styles. Now, I have a question for you because I've been itching to ask you this for a while while we've been doing the podcast. If you had to pick one or two comics from John Romita that stuck out to you while you were reading comics and getting into them, what what two would be your uh, pop-outs? Pop-outs? Well, you know, that actually is an interesting question, and I'm actually going to look that up really quick <laughs> while we do that, because the thing is, is that I get put on the spot, and I, I simply forget. But uh, See, I put him on yeah. the spot because not only am I an asshole, I'm a good friend. Yeah, I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, see, that's how it's done. That's how it's done. Now, <laughs> while he's but, looking that up, I gotta, yeah. I gotta Go tell ahead. you that, um... When you get a John Romita comic, not only are you getting some of the best artwork that I've seen in a long mm-hmm. time, I you agree. Are, you are also seeing passion pop out on the pages in such ferocity and such elegantness mm-hmm. that to read a different comic of Spider-Man from a different from a different writer and a different artist, and then reading Romita, it's almost night and day. Oh yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, uh, you know, as I said, and I, I would definitely agree with you on that. The thing, but once again, that's why I think is so great is the fact that you can't. 
confuse the two. You can't confuse senior with junior mm -hmm. because their styles are so clearly defined and they look like they're two different people. The only thing connecting them is their names. And what's interesting is even the dialogue is different. Exactly. And whereas you've got the dialogue of the old style of Spider-Man with uh -huh. Senior, you've got more of a, I want to say kind of a hip, cool style with his son. Exactly. No, and see, and, and, that's, what I, and that's what I would say. Oh, another iconic character, and I just and I see, and I wish I'd and I wish I'd remember this right off the bat. But you were right. John Romita did create Rhino, um, and John <laughs> John Romita also is responsible. And I had a feeling, I had a feeling, but he was also responsible for creating the lizard. Yes, he was. Um, I knew that he had fact, done the Rhino fact, because it had. And in fact, that's going to be one of my picks, Spider Man. Issue number 44, where it crawls the lizard. Okay, well then, if that's going to be your pick, my pick is going to be when John Romita finally introduces Rhino into the very into well, the very oh, first oh. Spider-Man comic with well, Rhino just, in it. And, well, and that was the pre previous issue. Exactly. That was the previous issue. In fact, you asked me for two, but yeah, I mean, like, that could be that could be why you like the well, was the previous issue. Issue Spider-Man number 43. Rhino on the Rampage. Yes. <laughs> and in fact, let's see. Uh, yeah, and another one, let's see. Ah, here's another one that I really liked. Spider-Man issue 70, Spider-Man Wanted. That's yes. another story of John Romita's that I really liked. Now, do you want to do um, uh, comic and book picks, and then we can go on with the rest of the podcast? Oh, exactly. Oh, and hey, you know what? One last thing. Just one last thing. Okay. I just have to include this just because I really love it. So many great ones here, so I mean, I'd, I'd have to be all night, but I like, at least got to put this one. Green Goblin's Last Stand, issue number 122. Have that, to throw that in there. That one was interesting because um, the Green Goblin had, in a way, given up... Um, battling Spider-Man in that one. Yeah, exactly. He didn't die. He just kind of threw in the towel. It was really kind of weird how he did it. And it was one of the issues that featured Gwen Stacy. Exactly. <laughs> His very first girlfriend. Exactly. So, yes, those those would be my recommendations. Um, <laughs> I think let's take a let's take a small break away from John Romita for a, for a bit. And I and I figure this is a good time cuz we usually not you and I usually do this anyway. But let's do a good time to maybe uh, let some people know on some maybe some updates happening over at uh, Crazy Monkey Inc. Okay, well, um, some updates that are happening right now is, uh, as always, I'm getting more and more pages for Tax Cab Joe number three. <laughs> um, I just got page number 22 just a couple of days ago. Yeah. And so we have just a couple more pages left because it's a 28-page comic. Yeah. I'm sorry it's so damn long. You know, one of the you know, funny is Corey and I actually had this discussion before, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that you know him and I have two very different writing styles. Not that it makes them better or worse than each other. It's just two different writing styles. He's very much a guy that does not like to feel like he has limits. He likes to be able to just write what he writes, and if it's and if it's. Um, 
if it's 20 pages, whatever. If it's 30 pages, whatever. Yeah. You know, or you know, or even if it's 100 pages, you know. <laughs> he just he just gets done when he gets done. Yeah. Um, now you, on me, the other hand, uh, you have a more sophisticated, um, uh, gentler approach well, I, to it. <laughs> well, I don't even know if it's, it would be that. Mine is just uh, mine is just hilariously you know. You don't like to feel like you're being constrained. But here's the funny thing about me. If I don't have a limit set on me, I I don't know what to do. I have no idea what the hell I'm going to do. If I know what I'm working with, then then I can go all over the place. But wait, see, that's why I set a limit for myself. I'm like, it's going to be 22 pages. I'm doing 22 pages for my singles. I'm going to be doing like like 40 pages for my doubles. Yeah. Or 44 pages for my doubles. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be doing, um, you know, I'll, I'll be doing um, like, and then I like to do like, 132 pages for my graphic novels. Exactly. And here's the really interesting thing, is because I don't know when to shut the fuck up when I'm writing my comics. <laughs> he does. Yeah. He has a very definitive timeline. He's like, okay, this is where it cuts off. I'm just like, hey, whenever the voices stop fucking talking to me is when the comic's <laughs> going to be done. Well, so yeah, you're just going to have to get over that. Well, no, <laughs> and they both work. They both work. And yeah. that's what I'm saying. is like, so it's not like you cut a, uh, It's not like you cut it off at a bad area. You you do it when you feel like you want to end it. Yeah. Um, but then I said with me, what what happens with me is it, it gets my creative juices going. It's like I I with me it's like okay I've got 22 pages to get this to the point that I want to get it to. So how do I how do I make work up a story mm-hmm. like that to fit it into the course of 22 pages so that people are going to anticipate the next issue? You're like the poet that is very concise and <laughs> image defined when you do your comics. Yeah. I'm the poet that just spews out shit and hopes that it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> But either way, like I said, <laughs> I, both the writing styles are great, and uh, like I said, diff- they're just different. That's it. Mm-hmm. No, no, not, not, no one's better than the other. They're just different. And I actually have some uh, a bit of news. Yeah. I believe within the next month, after mm-hmm. I'm done with the next couple issues of Taxi Cab Joe, yeah. I'm going to be writing um, scripts number two, three, and four of Sexy Zombie Hunters. Nice. And, and so. this will be something for people to look forward to. In fact, uh, you were telling me, and once again, I, I hope I, I don't I don't think you'll mind the, this reveal because it's something I think you've mentioned in a previous podcast. Very good. Is that uh, in these next issues of Sexy Zombies, if you think the first one had a lot of hilarious scenarios in it, um, you've got even more weird, cooked up, strange scenarios happening in the following issues. Now, I'm not going to give too much away. Yes, I am. I'm lying. <laughs> um, number two is going to be dealing with... They get sucked up into a vortex, <laughs> and they get spit out in the highlands of Scotland. <laughs> and they have to battle zombies with bagpipes and kilts. <laughs> and that's not going to look weird. <laughs> um, um. In number three, they're going to be sucked up in a completely different vortex, yeah. and they're going to be fighting off... Um, Russian type zombies. (laughs) And they're gonna have like the Russian police type uniforms on. They 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 can have like they can have like Cossack zombies. Exactly. (laughs) Cossackstan zombies. Yeah, that's right. And doing the doing the little uh, doing the little kick dance. Exactly. And so with each issue No. With each issue of Sexy Zombie Hunters 
It's going to get more hilarious. You're going to get more horror, more yeah. zombies. And this might go on for longer than just 12 issues. I don't know. Well, and here's the thing. I don't think people really care how many issues it is. It's just like this sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun and just really hilarious. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I want to reveal that um, it's sad, but it adds to the hilarity. Yeah. Is every other issue, one of the girls is going to get bitten and turned into a zombie. <laughs> and so number two, just someone, so one of the girls at random is going to get bitten. They're going to turn into a zombie. Mm -hmm. And I did that. That's all I can say for right now. But the hilarity ensues. Yeah. And it's, you're going to love it. And if you oh, don't, man. then don't buy my comic. <laughs> um, oh no, and, that, and, that, and that's great. And then, uh, and then also, I want to let people know that um, that and, I mean, we talked about this earlier, but uh, yeah. I'm I'm going to be uh, finishing Ronan Brothers number three. Start work really soon on Ronan Brothers number four. Yes. Um, and uh, and like I said, for those that just love samurai stories, whether they be manga or movies, mm -hmm. this is going to be right up their alley. Um, I've been doing a lot of research on this one mm -hmm. um, because I want it to at least seem somewhat authentic. Now, once again, I'm going to stress and reemphasize that this is a fiction. And so there's going to be a lot of things that we're like, well, that never happened. Well, because, yeah, of course I know. I know I'm making this stuff up. But well, the thing is, the setting I want to feel authentic. Yeah. And the characters I want to feel authentic. Exactly. However... That being said, they're going to be in various fictitious scenarios that I know for a fact didn't happen, and they're going to be fighting. Uh, they're going to be fighting characters and bad guys that didn't exist, and even creatures and like kind of like spiritual enemies that didn't exist. And here's the best part about Running Brothers is the fact that because it's a samurai story, and mm -hmm. because you know when you study up on the samurai, there's a vast mm -hmm. world and universe of the samurai. Yeah. You could blow this up to such epic and beautiful proportions. Mm -hmm. I see this comic concept going on for quite a while. Oh, exactly. The thing is, is uh, the plans I have for Ronan Brothers is similar to the plans I have for Dan. I don't plan on stopping it until I run out of ideas for it. Yeah. Once I feel like I've run out of the ideas and then I'm just reaching back in that well and recycling stuff, that'll be the time I end it. Because I, I want to end it, each of these on a high note. Uh, and that doesn't mean that the series will necessarily end. I mean, there's some series that I do actually have full intentions on maybe handing off to other people and see what they do with it. Now, um, we're going to stop on that note. Yeah. I need you to give me your comic recommendation and your book recommendation, and we need to wrap this up. Okay, well, once again, um, the uh, comic recommendation is easy this time. We were talking about John Romita, and I would suggest just looking up his whole run. Look up the whole run that he did. But I said especially the comics that I had suggested earlier. Mm -hmm. Look up, look up the introduction to the lizard. Um, hell, I mean, throw in some years the introduction to the rhino, yeah. and uh, you know, um, and some of the green uh, green goblin stories. And, and as I said, Spider Man Wanted. Spider Man Wanted is an excellent storyline that he did. Mm -hmm. um, and so, no, those those to me, my comic book recommendations. Um, as far as my um, novel recommendations go, um, you know. That one, once again, it's, it, I always, I always want to do, I always want to do something that, uh, 
that 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 I'm actually currently reading. <laughs> He's only read like five or six books in his, you know, 36 years of living. Yeah, oh, yeah wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I have a whole room of books that I never read. No, I'm just... <laughs> but, uh, got but, a no. freaking library. Yeah, but, uh, but no, no, no. I, 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 I got... It's just... There's so many iconic, impactful authors in my life that it's just hard to just narrow it down to one. But I know, but I, know I have to. Um... You know, I'm gonna reach back into my childhood again, just like I did last week. But this was this was a this was a good story to me because it was it's, it's a book I still remember today, and it basically shows you about the dangers of kids making bets with each other. And it's actually the the book called How to Eat Fried Worms. Oh, dude, that one is awesome. Yeah, I really like that one. Yes, that one's good. That was funny too. Oh, it is. <laughs> and and um, for those who aren't familiar with the concept, how to eat fried worms is a story of this kid. He's like 12 years old, and he uh, makes a bet with his friends. Was because uh, his friends were basically saying that a person couldn't eat a worm and survive. Mm-hmm. And and he and, and he and he and he just made some kind of joke like ah if you just threw uh you threw some ketchup on it or something and wrote and, and fried it you know I'm pretty sure it tastes great yeah and then they challenged him that they challenged him to eat ten worms fried yeah um Six, no, it was sixteen worms for sixteen dollars thank you thank oh sixteen you. worms for that's, sixteen dollars thank, no, right. thank you thank you it was sixteen worms for sixteen dollars by the way uh, people that was that was Derek once again our our occasional contributor yeah. Um, and uh, anyway, it was sixteen worms for sixteen dollars, and and basically had to be done over a course of sixteen days. Uh, yeah. Book still required yep. reading like third grade. Yeah, uh, it I is think, actually. I think so. Um, I'll have to check that out. But I. But anyway, that was that's one that I would recommend. Anyway, um, what about you? Your your comic book recommendations and your novel recommendations. My comic book recommendation, oddly enough, is not Ramita. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> kind of breaking the mold here. I'm oh, you're, sorry you're, about no, you're that. good. You're good. I just wanted to stay on the theme, but you, like, there's no requirement that says you can't do something different. Now, because this man has had such an impact on how I do comics and mm-hmm. how violently I, you know, <laughs> um, I write I'm getting, them, I think I'm uh, getting a good idea. I'm going to recommend Rick Remender's Tokyo. Tokyo Ghost. Tokyo Ghost, yes. Good story. For those that don't know, a nice, cool cyberpunk story. And it's about what... It's about the effects of being plugged into the internet too long. The excesses of technology. The excesses of technology and how you can be so devoid of reality that once reality hits, it's almost like it's foreign to you and you're scared of it. Yeah, And you want to get back into... You want to plug back in just to feel some type of normalcy. Yeah, basically, um, it shows you how how sometimes artificial reality to some people can become more comforting to them than actual reality. And I believe if you read it, you can actually see that unfolding today. Yeah. Because there are a lot of people that are more comfortable on social media than they are in reality. Oh yeah, exactly. I completely (laughs) agree with you. Um, And uh, what about your uh, novel recommendation? My novel recommendation... (coughs) Because I still need to get it from you, because if I don't get it from you tonight, I'm going to punch you in the teeth. Because <laughs> I've, I've reminded you about it. Yeah, I know. Um, by Sean Meehan, 
and I know I messed up your last name. I'm so sorry, and when I visit you, you can punch me in the nuts, and as hard as you possibly can. I am so sorry. But this man has made a multi-time-dimensional space drama and thriller called Fur Lodge. Yes. And this is such a fantastic novel. It's his very first work. He's working on the sequel to it right now. Mm -hmm. um, he's a he's scattering through um, the pages and he's making sure that it's completely as epic as the first one. Yeah. And um, it's going to be just as awesome. It's going to be a lot darker yeah. than the first one. Uh-huh. And uh, mm -hmm. it, there's going to be a lot of upsetting scenarios in this one yeah. that I'm, I've been privy to have him yeah. share with me that even I'm kind of upset about. <laughs> so yeah, but, but... just wanted to let you know, Sean, we're going to have a one-on-one. -on -one. <laughs> but not only do I love this man for his yeah. style of writing and how he throws humor mm -hmm. in every chapter that he <laughs> writes, he is a funny man. He, yeah, he's, he's, no, he's, he's a good author. He's a good author. And like I said, I haven't got to read that much of it yet. I, uh, please forgive me. But uh, but the stuff I have seen, have read about, I have mm -hmm. really enjoyed. So I can I can at least confirm that uh, with you, and I can mm -hmm. at least say that Corey is right. No, you, you you've got a great way of of phrasing things, and I love it. Um, but as as I said, you know, I, I can't give a definitive review on it because I haven't read everything yet. Um, you know, so you're and, fine. And sadly, that's gonna have to wait. I've got a long ass list of stuff I have to get to. But don't worry, yours is actually. <laughs> Pretty, yours is actually coming up on the list. Yours is actually within my top five bits that I have to read right now. And I got to give it to Sean. He is not only a fantastic writer, he is a wonderful friend. And mm -hmm. he, mm -hmm. other than the fact that he's British and the fact that that's amazing as well. Oh, you know, and, he, and, 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 and I like it because he's, uh, he's actually a fan of our work as well. Yeah. Um, Sean, I'm just giving the biggest shout out to you. Yeah. Folks, if you want to get a fantastic novel that is going to keep you up at night, going to keep the pages turning, and you're going to need Neosporin and Band-Aids because it's going to be flipping pretty fast through this thing, <laughs> look up Fur Lodge, F-I-R Lodge, on Amazon.com. Buy it. It doesn't cost that much, but I can guarantee you it is definitely worth every penny spent. Uh -huh. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think with that, um, we can uh, wrap it up. That's right. I'm going to wrap it up like a mummy and a Christmas present. <laughs> 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 All right, no. And, you know, actually, and I, I got to thank you. It's been, it's always, uh, you know, you're always praising me. So, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn the tables on you this time. <laughs> It's always a pleasure talking with you, Corey. Thank because you. Because thing is, if you say I've got an encyclopedic knowledge, I love the amount of energy you bring to this. You're always so enthusiastic when we do these things. Thank you. I uh, I try to be. <laughs> you know, I'm I, I'm running on three cylinders now because I'm almost forty. I had eight, but every decade, like two have been shot out. <laughs> So now I'm just waiting until I've got one cylinder just to get to yeah. the top of the mountain. Uh, oh, yes. And then, once again, to reemphasize, 
Next week, we'll be talking about John Romita Jr. Yes. So look forward to that. And we will see you wonderful folks later. Yep. Have a good one.